Well, I hope you're hope you're enjoying the the service so far. Are you? Boy, I am, I am blessed. I'm really appreciating it. Great music. Uh, just great to turn our hearts to the Lord and, and do that together as a church. Uh, we've got some things going on. Last Sunday, I was preaching in Tiffin, and today I'm here, and I'll just let you know they are doing great. Uh, both Zach and AJ were out of town, so uh, I got the call to be there, and it was just a great time together. They are thriving, uh, just like you've been hearing, and it's really exciting what God's doing. Also, this Sunday... Uh, we have Stephanos and Magda Botanis from Greece. They're here with us today. They were in the last service, and right now they're in Tim's class uh, over there behind the, the water fountain across from the cafe, and they're presenting their ministry. So if you know them from years ago, it's been a long time since we've been able to connect because of COVID, uh, then you can make your way to a table right out, right out there. They'd, they'd love to see you and reconnect. And uh, also... This is the last Sunday for Greg Hansen. I don't, is, he's not in here, is he, Hannah? Okay, Greg and his wife, Hannah, she's sitting right here on the second row. Uh, this is their last Sunday with us. Um, he's been a huge help to us in getting our, our sound stuff going. We, we call him an intern, but actually he's very knowledgeable in everything he's doing. He's actually going on to work for another church in Ohio, and we're really excited and supportive of him doing that. And he ducked out. He's probably in the broadcast room, isn't he? Yep. All right. So um, anyway, if you he, if he happen to see Greg, tell him. And then we have somebody else here that I want to point out. And that is, we, we've, we've all known that Mike got married. And here's Mike and Amanda. I want them to stand up so you can, uh, just to prove to you, Mike does have a wife. Just stand up. <laughs> Mike and Amanda, great to have you guys. Good to see you. And they're, they're one weekend. It seems, seems like it's going okay so far. So that's good. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, we're going to dive into our series. Um, and it's called Zip It, if you didn't catch that from before. And we're realizing that God has a lot to say about our talk, about what we say, our words, our mouth, our tongue, how we use it. And that's what we're focusing on in this series. Tim kicked us off here last week, and we're going to continue with that. And today we're talking about complaining. And we all have issues with complaining. And, and I probably should have telegraphed that so you wouldn't have been complaining on the way to church. You know, you, wouldn't have, you, wouldn't, you would have known because uh, I've known this whole week. I've been trying to watch it and not complain. And we complain in all different ways. I mean, sometimes we, we complain by whining uh, or we play the martyr, you know how that kind of goes, or, or we're just negative or we're cynical. Whatever it is, we, we complain. And then we complain about all types of stuff, right? We complain about work. We complain if we have no work. We complain about marriage. We complain about singleness. Although Mike and Amanda have no complaints. I already checked in with them. They're good. Uh, 
We complain about our finances. We complain about gas prices, right? We complain about politics. We, we complain about our friends. We complain about having no friends. I mean, we complain and complain and complain. And you know what? Sometimes, every once in a while, we even complain about church. It's a rumor I heard. I don't hear a lot of that, but, uh, but I know that happens. Sometimes even complain about church. And, and I got to tell you, um, I remember years ago, we, we had a guy on our staff. I think I can, it's been long enough I could tell this story. Uh, we had a guy on our staff, and he was kind of a funny guy, um, but he would always complain, but he did it by making a joke. And so it was very entertaining. You know, it's kind of like he would make you laugh, but then you, as you got to know him better and better, you realized that everything he said was basically a complaint. And then as you really got to know him well, you realized, and he's serious about these complaints. And all of a sudden that kept going and going. And it was just like, the, it kind of started grading on all the staff. It was just kind of a big negative. Just everything that was happening was sort of like a complaint. And God's actually telling us that we shouldn't live that way. Today, we have different ways, different names we call complainers. How many of you have heard the term Karen? Yeah, well, she's a Karen. You know, I, I don't know why they picked the name Karen. I mean, Karen seems like a nice name. I don't know why they, they grabbed that one to use for a stereotypical white female that's griping at a retail or restaurant manager and is presumed to be racist and, you know, all this stuff. I don't really know how all that happened, but, but here it is. And we know that complaining is a huge part of our culture. As a matter of fact, right now, what's been happening for the last 10, 20, 30 years is, is people gather into these identity groups within our culture and they gather together and mainly they're together to complain about everything that's happening in our culture and how they're treated. And we have this just, it's, it's just in our nature as a culture to complain. And by the way, it's just not out there. God's people have produced some world-class complainers. And we're going we're gonna to look at that through that in just, just a minute here. So what does God want us to know about complaining? If we're supposed to watch our mouth, and we all know that sometimes when we're talking, we'd be better off if we just zipped it, Right? And so what does God want us to know about complaining? Well, the first thing is that complaining is rooted in sin. I mean, think about it. It goes back to the very beginning. I mean, God creates the world. He creates Adam and Eve. And then as soon as he, he created them with freedom, so right away, all of a sudden we have sin is introduced in the world by Adam and Eve. And then right after that sin's introduced in the world, we have complaining. Remember, Adam says, when, when God's talking to him, what does he say? The woman that you gave me, she's the one, you know, that's how it starts. Complaint number one. I mean, dates right back to the very beginning. And then, of course, people multiplied across the face of the earth. And, and as they did that, sin increased and evil increased. And as the population grew, people drifted further and further from God. And then God called one guy. And his name was Abraham. And he called Abraham and he said, I'm going to fix this. 
and I'm gonna use this one guy named Abraham. And God said, through Abraham, the entire world would be blessed. And then we fast forward just a little bit and we come to Abraham's great grandson. And his name is Joseph, the son of Jacob. Joseph, when he's a young man, is sold into slavery and taken down to Egypt. And through God's miraculous providence, Joseph becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt with only the Pharaoh above him. At the time, and that has something to do with it, there's a famine in the land. And so Joseph arranges for his dad and all of his dad's family to come down into Egypt to avoid this famine. That, that's gonna start killing people. And so they all go down to Egypt. But then Joseph and his generation died. And then those people, the Hebrew people, ended up becoming slaves to the Egyptians. And that slavery lasted 400 years. And after 400 years, God raised up another man named Moses. And God told Moses to go and get his people out of slavery. So Moses goes to deliver the Hebrew people and he shows up and he confronts Pharaoh. And predictably, Pharaoh doesn't want to lose his free workforce that they've had for hundreds of years. So he says no. And then there are 10 plagues that come in succession onto the Egyptians. And as this happens, the Pharaoh pushes back a little bit and increases the workload by they have to find their own straw for the Hebrew people. And what's the first thing they do? They start complaining against Moses. And then the 10th plague comes and then the Pharaoh releases those people and Moses leads them out. But then Pharaoh changes his mind. He grabs his army. They load up on chariots and then they start chasing down the Hebrew people where they trap them against the Red Sea. And when that happens, here's, here's what happens. They said to Moses, this is Exodus 14, 11, it is be, is, so they're there. They have freedom for the first time in their lives, freedom. But all of a sudden, they're faced with a problem, and they say that they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone, and that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They're complaining, right? Just got their freedom. They're worried that they're going to be wiped out and they start complaining. And what God's telling us, first of all, what he first wants us to know is that all complaining is rooted in sin. Our complaints are rooted in sin. And so we know the rest of the story, God splits the Red Sea, they cross over on dry ground, the Pharaoh's armies try to do that, they're destroyed in the water, and then they go in and continue to travel in the wilderness. Eventually, they go to Mount Sinai, God calls Moses up, and he gives them the law, including the Ten Commandments. So he's telling the people, you know, 
God's got to be first. No idols. Can't take the Lord's name in vain. Give God one day in seven to honor him. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder anybody. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. I mean, he just lays it all out. And this is God's righteous law, how we all should live, how God created us to live. But because of our free will and sin entering in the world, none of us can do it. So then God also gives to Moses a sacrificial system that will remind them of the seriousness of their sin, that their sin is always before them. It's always a barrier between them and God and the seriousness of it, that it takes blood, the death of an innocent animal to cover it even for a moment. And so all that is happening. In the meantime, God's people are still complaining. Before Moses even comes down from the mountain, they're complaining. And then they start the wilderness journey, they're complaining. First, they're complaining, we don't have food. And then God answers that complaint with manna. It's like frost on the ground in the morning that, that when the frost leaves, it doesn't go away and they can gather it up. It's like flour. It's actually like flour, honey-flavored flour. You know where I'm going with this. Texas Roadhouse cinnamon butter <laughs> on the rolls. That, that's what they get every day. And for, but after a while, they start complaining about that. And God gives them meat, quail. It's every, then they're complaining they're thirsty and God gives them water. Then they start complaining about the leadership. Then they start complaining about the journey. Then they start complaining about the people who are their adversaries. And then it's time to go into the promised land. They, they look at the land and they're complaining about the inhabitants of the land. And it's just complaint, complaint, complaint. And as all this is happening, there's something else that we need to remember. And that is that God wants us to stop complaining. He's calling us as his people, don't complain. And so we see that one of the reasons he tells us not to complain is because if we're his people and we believe that God is sovereign over our life and we keep complaining about our circumstances, it's almost like our complaints are not about the circumstances, they're about God. Our complaints become actually complaints to God. That's how it broke out with the Israelites in the wilderness in Exodus 16:8. It goes like this. Moses said, hey, this will happen. He's interacting with the people. This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning for the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? What are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. Here's Moses saying, you're not actually grumbling against us as your leaders. You're grumbling against God. And so God blesses them and they keep complaining. And really, that's a lot like us because we have a lot less to complain about than they did. I mean, we, we talk about this every once in a while. I mean, living here in our country which I believe is the greatest country in the world because it has the most freedom in the world, freedom to pursue happiness, freedom to go out and earn money, freedom to worship God in any way we want. We have this freedom and God has given. And so we are blessed in that way. Throw on top of that, and I believe it's a direct result because of freedom, 
We have the most prosperous country in the world. You know, as I remind us every once in a while, if you're just sitting here, if you're just your average person in our church, not even average, anybody in our church, you probably would fit in the top four or five percent of the richest people in the world by world standards, but we don't go by world standards. We have everything to be thankful for. And then as a believer, it's a whole nother level, a whole nother plane of what we should be thankful for. God doesn't want his people to be characterized by complaining. So the big question is, how do we stop? How do we not complain? How do we stop complaining? It's, it's all through our culture. We get used to it. It becomes normal in our culture, even as believers. So how do we stop? And there's two ways of doing that. One is kind of a no-brainer, but it doesn't work for everyone. The first way we stop complaining is by changing our circumstance if possible. Sometimes people are complaining about something that they have the power to change if they only would. And I'm here to tell you, if you keep complaining about something like your job, then you should change your, you should either learn to not complain or change your job. We don't complain about things we can change. I have a classic example of that. Um, I used to work at Liberty University and I was in law enforcement so I would come in contact with some students that were in trouble. You know, so I'd talk to students in trouble a lot. And more than once, our conversation would go like this. I, I would say, you know, you don't seem to be happier. No, I hate it here, I hate it here, I don't wanna be here. And then I'd ask them, well, if you hate it here, why? Are you here? And here's how they would answer. More than one student told me this. They were all guys. They said this. Because this is the only school that my parents would pay for. And I would just be disgusted. Here's what I would say to them. I said this to more than one student. I said, you know what you need to do? You need to do us all a favor. Do yourself a favor. Do your parents a favor grow up, get a job, be a man, and go live your life. Leave this school. Be a man. Get a job. You're complaining that somebody's paying for your college. Most people don't get college paid for them. That's what you're griping about? Grow up. And of course, I was always telling those guys that at the same time while I was pursuing a master's degree in counseling where I learned to be deeply empathetic with other people <laughs> that I was interacting with. And that's why I needed that. You know, and that's, how, that's what we do with our jobs, right? It's like we get all gripey. Well, if you can change it, change it. We live in a free country. We have more freedom than anybody. Change your job. Well, I, I, I would change my job, but it pays so well that I've been, I wouldn't, well then have joy and that you get paid really well, more than anybody else will pay you. Have joy in that, if that's the case. All right, so that's the first thing. Change your circumstances if you can. Now, let me throw out a caveat. Change your circumstances if possible, if you can change your circumstances without doing anything wrong. 
That doesn't mean that you become irresponsible and start doing things that God clearly says you shouldn't be doing in order to change your circumstances to stop complaining. No, if, you, if it's possible for you to change your circumstances without doing wrong, like getting another job is not wrong, then you go do that. But sometimes it's not possible to change our circumstances. That brings us to the second thing here. It's, it may not be possible to change your circumstances, it is always possible for believers, it is always possible to change your perspective. And that's exactly what God calls us to do. Change your perspective and that will keep you from complaining. And here's how Paul's gonna say it. We're in Philippians chapter two and Paul's gonna break out how to change our perspective. And, and the way he does it, here, here's the way I call it. He's gonna, he's gonna challenge us, change our perspective, and we're gonna do that. As we do that, we're gonna work out, shine out, hold out, and live out. That's what Paul says. All right, gonna work out, shine out, hold out, and live out. And we're gonna find that in Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse 12. First of all, he says, work out, your salvation. Here's how it goes. Uh, so then, now this is Paul writing a letter to this church in Philippi. He knows these people. He actually started that church. He says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, when we hear Paul saying, work out your salvation, if you know Paul's writings, it kinda, that doesn't sound right to you. You're going, work out your salvation. Well, Paul, you're the guy that says, we cannot earn our salvation. We cannot work for our salvation in any way. And this is one of those passages that hold two main truths in tension. And, that, and we cannot really study that away, actually. So he tells us that for our salvation, we work it out. Now, salvation, what he means by that is that we would be rescued or saved from the righteous and just penalty for our sin. And so we've all done wrong things against God. We've all broken those commandments that I just mentioned before. We cannot live those things out consistently. We have a big problem with that. And it's because we have free will to sort of do our own thing, which is kind of rooted in selfishness and everything else. And so our salvation is being saved from the just consequences or punishment of our sins. So how do, what does he mean by work it out? That doesn't sound like Paul. Well, Paul focused on their obedience because it's Jesus who had changed their lives. And when he's talking about this, this is not, he's not talking about legalism, which means work for your salvation, but he's also not talking about pacifism, where he's saying we don't do anything. God just does it all, and we're not even an active player in it. He said, neither, it's not Arminianism nor hyper-Calvinism. Both of those are too simplistic. So what does work out your salvation mean? 
Well, God draws us to him. He invites us. He woos us. He draws us. And he is at work in us, in us, both in our will and in our obedience. But it's we who live out the Christian life. It's what we do, what we will to do with God's influence in our life that shows that we're saved. I'll put it another way. This is why we emphasize the four D's. And please, to everybody that knows the four D's, just nod. Yeah, that's what I was worried about. Four D's, okay? You should all know the four D's. Are you with me on this? Remember, here's a, as a church, we exist to help people, number one, discover truth. We help people discover truth. When they discover truth, we help people decide on Jesus. Make a decision. Put your trust in Christ alone. Once they do that sincerely, because we're not talking about intellectually believing Jesus existed. Everybody knows that. Or intellectually thinking that he's the son of God. Whole bunch of people think that, that aren't believers. It's when we say decide on Jesus, we're talking about putting our trust in Christ, that he died for our sins, and we are committed to putting all our trust in him, and that comes with a desire to follow him. All right, so next thing. If we've truly done that, if we've discovered truth, decided on Jesus, then the next thing will happen is we will demonstrate change in our life. If you become a believer, truly, it will show up in your life. You will be different. You'll think differently. You'll view things differently. And then the last one is deploy forever. De deploy for others. And you know what? We're going to have to go through this again because I'm not sure you have it. Let's just do this as a reminder. Didn't do this in the other service, but you guys need it more than they do. So we're going to work through this, all right? Number one, we, we exist to help people discover, decide on, demonstrate, deploy. But you did that pretty well. All right, so good. We're back on track. Great. This is what we're talking about. Work out your salvation and that obedience shows up in your life. Now, working out our salvation is following Jesus. And when we do that, it causes us, that working out causes us to shine out. This is the next thing that he talks about. We're going to shine out as believers in a dark world. Here's the next verse, verse 14. And, and this is the key verse, by the way. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things. Not a lot of wiggle room here, right? Do all things without grumbling, that's complaining, or disputing. So grumbling, complaining is sort of the emotional element of this. And then disputing is more the intellectual element. The, the grumbling, the complaining is the griping. And the disputing is sort of the making your case, intellectually making your case as to why you're justified in grumbling and griping. And you can do that internally. You're just doing that in your own mind. You're just thinking about dispute. Or you can be doing that with other people, making your case as to why you should be gripey. And God's saying, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Do everything without complaint. Why? Why should we do all things without grumbling or complaining? 
Well, Paul tells us this will be the shine out part. Next verse, verse 15. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Some translations has you appear as stars in the world. What's he saying? That we shine out as believers, we show up in a dark world and our lives should shine out. People should see the difference of us. We work out our salvation, we shine out a difference in our character and they, we shine out because we hold out the gospel. Now, beginning of the next verse, verse 16. Holding fast the word of life. Now, this holding fast, it kind of means two different things. It means hold on to, but it also means hold out. So we work out our salvation. As we do that, we shine out to other people and we shine out because we're holding out the gospel. And the word of life, that phrase, Paul uses that for the gospel. And the gospel just means good news. And it's the good news that Jesus died for us to pay our penalty so that we could be forgiven without violating God's justice and have a relationship with him forever. We have to hold on to the good news before we can hold out the good news. So we shine out and hold out, and we need both of those to impact others, and that's the character of the Christian life. Now, Paul explains that as these people have worked out their salvation, shined out with their life because they're holding out the gospel, then he's saying, as you do that, then all know that my ministry was effective. That's the next verse. Hold, well, still same verse, verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. He's saying, because you guys are genuine believers, my ministry will have been effective, not in vain. And then the last way that we change our perspective is that we live out with contentment. And that's what Paul talks a lot about. And we're going to see that pop up next. So think about it. Paul has every reason to gripe. When he writes this letter, he's sitting in, in a Roman jail. He's actually under house arrest, chained to one of the Praetorian guards in Rome. And he's chained to a guard 24-7. When he's eating, he's chained. When he's writing this letter, he's chained. When he has to use the facilities, he's chained. He's chained when he sleeps. He's chained to a guard 24-7. And he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome because he knew if I could share the gospel in Rome, Rome is the most important city in the world that controls most of the world. If I can get the gospel there. But he didn't know that he was going in chains. But God put him there in chains. But rather than despair or complain, Paul saw the opportunity. And he's like, wow, this is great. I have a pagan Praetorian guard chained to me 
24-7 that I can share the gospel with. So the guard's there when he's talking to people about Christ. The guard's there while he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. Guards are always there by rotation every eight hours there with Paul. And Paul's impacting their life to the point where Paul says, the whole Praetorian guard knows about me and the gospel. Doesn't mean they all believe, but they all know. They've all heard. That's exactly what he wanted to happen. So here's what Paul says in the next verse, verse 17. But even if I am being poured out, now here's what's going on. Paul knows that there's a chance that he's going to be executed, which is exactly what happened. So, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Notice here, Paul's not complaining. Paul doesn't play the martyr. Paul dies as a martyr and he does it with joy and without complaint. We need to up our game, don't we? And here, here's what he says. All this is happening. He's in this terrible situation, but he's content. In the next chapter, here's what he says in verse 11. He says, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret to being filled and going hungry, both having an abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I got to tell you, when Paul's writing this to the believers in Philippi, they believe him because they know when Paul first showed up in their town, he started a church and he was arrested. When he was arrested, he was beaten and then thrown into jail. This is recorded for us. He's beaten, he's thrown into jail, and then they find out, he tells them, he's a Roman citizen, illegal to beat him. By the way, if I was Paul, I would have told him I was a Roman citizen before the beating. But Paul didn't do that. He took the beating, and we speculate as to why that might be. It may be because Paul knew that most of the people in the church of Philippi were not Roman citizens, so they couldn't get out of a beating for their faith like he could as a Roman citizen. So he took the beating, then told him he was a Roman citizen, which made the authorities in Philippi go, you guys are nuts. We can just start beating people and then after we're done, you tell us you're a Roman citizen and that, that's wrong for us to do that. We would have never done that. Yeah, watch out when you mess with the church. They're crazy people. We don't know why he did it. But they know that he experienced all that in their town. They, most of them saw that. The whole city saw that. But that's not all Paul went through, right? We have a whole list as we look at scripture of things that he's been through. Remember, he was lashed five times. He received 39 lashes. Couldn't do 40 illegal because that could kill you. So 39 lashes. He went through that five different times. 
three times beaten with rods, once stoned, three times shipwrecked. He was in hunger. He was in cold. He was a day and a night bobbing in the sea. He's all this stuff, and he did all of that without complaint. We need upper game. That's Paul. That's our example. He's our example. And so the question is, how about you? As you look at your life and you're interacting with other people, have you dimmed your light? Have you failed to shine out like you should have shined out because of complaining? You see, because Paul's telling us it's the lack of our complaining is how we shine out to a dark world or a corrupt and perverse generation. That people look at us and say, hey, you're different. What's going on with you? You don't complain about anything. That's part of how Christians are different from other people, and that's part of how we're the light of the world, and then when we're the light of the world, we hold out the gospel. All of us, that's all of our, if you're a believer, not everyone here is a believer, but if you are, that's our responsibility. And we shouldn't complain. And people say, well, I'm suffering. God's never told us we would not suffer. What God has told us is that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us and he will always be there giving us strength to endure whatever we're going through. That's his promise to us. But this is bad. This is worse suffering than I ever thought. Right. And someday we'll die. But no matter what our suffering, what's the worst that can happen to us? We die as believers and we are in the presence of Christ forever, worshiping, joy, enjoying his presence. That's the, down, that's, that's the worst thing as we view our life. We can have joy and contentment. And as believers, true believers with changed lives, we should have, we should expect ourselves to have and other Christians to have, to have joy and contentment without complaining in our life because we live different. Because we shine out as we hold out the gospel that we're hanging on to and reminding and teaching others about that God loves us. He knows us. He knows everything about us. And amazingly, he loves us anyway. He died for our sins to make it possible for us to have a relationship with him. And then he invites us into that relationship. If we'll just trust him and follow him. We have nothing to fear and everything to be joyful about. And we can be content and have satisfaction in our life as we experience his grace and follow him. Let's stand together. Father God, thank you for your goodness. Father, even in the bad times, Lord, even when things aren't going the way we want them to go, 
Father, we understand that rather than complain, well, we, we need to turn to you. We need to work out our salvation. We need to make sure that we're believers. We need to follow you with our will and our actions. And then as we do that, we will shine out. And as we're shining out, we will hold out the gospel. And as we do that, we will live out contentment just the way you want us to. And we will do that, Lord, with not only contentment, but joy in any circumstance, knowing that we have you forever and nothing can separate us from you. Nothing. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.